Hey everyone, it is Monday and you know what that means in our expert series, we bring back Greg Dickerson. How you doing, Greg? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you? I'm doing very well. Folks, if you enjoy these conversations with Greg, do yourself a favor. I have a playlist dedicated to Greg on this channel. We have hours of interviews with him there uh, answering all types of questions. So if you like what we talk here, which many, many of you do, make sure you check out the playlist because there's hours of material that you could watch from Greg. So thank you very much for doing this with us, Greg. Uh, I thought we'd talk about home prices first. One of the questions I get a lot is, um, why does Greg think home prices are not going to go up uh, in the next couple of years? And, and I'm on the side of, you know what, I think prices got a year or so to run. So let's, let's break that down a little bit. Yeah, so when I say that, uh, and I did read that comment, I do read the comments and saw the question. So I don't see exponential upside. And the reason is housing prices now, the way things are going right now, are limited um, not only to what somebody's willing to pay, but what they can pay. So you have to put a down payment up, and that monthly payment has to be a certain percentage of your debt-to-income ratio. You only can spend so much money on housing. So that's what I mean by we're, we're at a peak. So what I'm saying more than anything else is we're at a peak right now. Is there a little bit of upside potential? Sure. Is there a little bit of downside potential? Sure. Is there more downside potential than upside in the future? You know, you could argue that there might be. And, you know, a lot of the doomsdayers are calling for a housing, you know, a crash in housing prices. But what I see is from an affordability standpoint, you can only pay so much for housing and people are only willing to go so far. So in every market, everybody who's listening, take a look at your market. There are houses that are not selling in your market where other houses right next door sold in days. And it's either because it's overpriced um, for what it is, where it is, um, or it's just a really odd house or you know whatever. But there are houses that are not selling in every single market where other houses are selling in days. And again, it's usually because it's either overpriced or you know something else is going on, but usually it's overpriced. So buyers are um, pushing back at a certain point. They're not paying anything for a house because they gotta be qualified, they gotta put a down payment up, and it, they can only spend so much on their housing. And when somebody gets to the point, you know, I'm talking median housing level, the average you know, um, middle-class family or lower income family that's buying a house that can qualify, they're not gonna put 50% down so they can afford the payment. They're just yeah. not gonna do it. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I want to talk about here is, is there, you're right. There's so many doomsdayers out there because doom and gloom sells, it gets clicks, right? Mm -hmm. They're talking about a 40 or 50 cent crash. I'm on record saying nationally speaking, I bet you interest, I bet you housing values are up 10% or more between now, October and December 30, 31st, 2021. So I'm, I'm on yeah. the entire other side of that equation. Yeah, I, you know, I could see that being possible. 10% is not a huge bump in house mm -hmm. prices. Um, so that that's not, but are, would they be up double? That no. I don't think. You know, no. can they go up 5 or 10%? Sure. You know, um, is it better to know the top than the bottom? So what we do know right now is yeah. the hottest housing market we've ever had, the lowest interest rates we've ever seen, and there's multiple offers for good houses priced right in the right areas. So that's why I say know the top, and if you're a seller, now's the time. Yeah. that I go up a little bit? Sure. Can it go up significantly? I don't know. Can it also come back down by the end of next year? Sure. Yeah, I think all of that is 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 rock solid. The one little wrinkle in all of that that I think is unique to this time is uh, it's the rush out of the urban areas. And I just I just I just talked about there was a couple in New York that was talked about in a Bloomberg article, 
And I'm going to talk about this couple um, because I think it's happening in most big cities. They were renting in Battery Park for $5,500, right? Husband, wife, two kids. I don't know where Battery Park is, but 5,500 bucks for rent seems like a nice place to me. They just moved to upstate New York. Their mortgage payment's $1,000. Talk about the life. I mean, that's life-changing. In theory, mom or dad could stay home and raise the kids now. I mean, that's, that's a $4,500 drop. Maybe it's $3,500 when you include all the other housing costs. But that's, I think that's happening in droves. And that's one of the reasons I believe the next 12, now 15 months sees upside. It's because we are taking the tippity-top renters and making them homeowners like we've never done before. I just think that's a, we've never seen this wave before. Yeah, 5,500 bucks will buy a lot of house and a lot of yard in a lot of areas in this country, all in, taxes, insurance, in. maintenance, the whole nine yards. Yeah. You know, that that's a pretty hefty payment to be paying for rent, mm -hmm. you know, to be in a city where the reason you're, you're there is supposedly for opportunity, for entertainment, you know, things like that that have, you know, kind of gone by the wayside here lately with, with things. And that's why there's a lot of people leaving the city. But again, 8 million people in New York, you got a couple hundred thousand that are leaving over the, over, you know, the next year or so. It's not going to really make a dent, you know, in the overall market, but it is in a lot of areas. Yeah. See, I don't think it dents New York, right? The supply demand balance. But if 20% of that couple hundred thousand goes to one area in upstate New York, it, it could impact that area for sure. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot of that. And there was an article the other day about Denver, you know, how the Denver, Colorado, you know, hottest market, market. Is just yeah. blowing up because, you know, people want to go to Denver. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe is one of those sleepy markets where an average day, you know, years ago, average days on markets was over 180 days because it's yeah. a very niche buyer. Right. Uh, but now prices are up 25% and average days on market sub 30 because everybody's yeah. buying cash. Yeah. So that's why yeah, I think the next, yeah, that's why I think the next 12 to 15 months, I'm calling 15 months, uh, is going to see double digits across the country. San Francisco, trouble. New York, trouble. You know, Portland, Seattle, trouble. But nationally mm -hmm. speaking, uh, I don't see a, a crash. Now we could see there there could be pain. There could be pain lurking in all this because I do see I see such a disproportionate buyers using FHA mortgages, the low downs. That could eventually be a problem. If that spins out of control more and becomes, you know, a dominant buying vehicle, uh, that's going to be a problem now, in years. That'll go into the later part of the discussion that you wanted to have today about, um, you know, the what happens if, if we get a Biden win, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Biden-Harris win, and how does that affect the business going forward? So make sure we visit that in terms mm -hmm. of um, housing affordability you got and it. going back to a pro-housing uh, mindset to balance that disparity between you know the middle class and the lower income that mm -hmm. can't afford housing and what happened the last time we went on that affordable housing trend trying to put everybody in a home that yeah. um you know and how that could potentially impact but uh but yeah you know the exodus is real people are leaving major cities it's not enough to make a real significant impact in those cities but it's enough to make a big impact in a lot of these other areas like exactly. in nashville tennessee some of these smaller towns up around new york you know, there was articles the other day about, you know, 10, 15,000 people moving into this one little town that only had like yeah. a population of 3,000, you know, and they're like, this ah. is great, but we we don't have anything, you know, we can't take care of these people, but they're excited about it, you know, yeah. they're sleepy little towns. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's like a lake town, you know, summer vacation destination up there, but yeah. uh, it's a real thing. We're seeing it everywhere. We're seeing it 
been a minor scale. And the big thing is California. Everybody's coming out with, I'm leaving California and here's why. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, all right. Graham Stephan was the, I mean, first off, uh, Joe Rogan, this is the list I saw Joe Rogan. There was another mm-hmm. YouTuber. I forget his name. Who's going to uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Joe Rogan's going to Texas. Then Graham Stephan's going to Vegas. And then yesterday I saw meet Kevin do a, you know, I'm going to slam California video. And there, mm-hmm. and then I talked to Brian Lebo, who's a broker in Vegas for 30 years. And he's telling me every million dollar home is a California buyer, right? Mm-hmm. He, Vegas has different markets, but everything over seven figures is a California buyer. And most of them are paying cash because they're walking away with huge. Yeah, Vegas, huge Arizona. yeah it's huge. So the California exit is real. Uh, I guess one thing I have to talk about is, you know, am I leaving California? Um, so I have to answer this in steps. I am not personally against it. I would love, I would love to live somewhere else. I frankly, my dream is I would love to have three condos around the world, right? Put one in Australia, one in Asia somewhere, and then maybe one in the U.S. or South America somewhere. I mean, that would be my, that would be my dream, right? Just wherever it's warm, be there. Uh, that's not my wife's dream. <laughs> so, so uh, she wants to be here. We talk about it occasionally. We're not going anywhere is the, the long answer of that. But I certainly understand lots of people are leaving. Uh, lots of my sales, I have a lot of sales reps that are in my kind of network. If you look at my LinkedIn profile, Many of them make multiple six figures a year and, and plenty of them have moved to Reno, right? It's kind of the closest town to where I live. They're like, hey man, I go live in Reno and save 13.3% or 13.9% on state taxes and I can still do my job. So California is in trouble. California is going to have a decade of pain in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I was way ahead of my time. I left California in 1989, so... <laughs> You know, so I spent my younger years in California. My dad was military. We were we were in San Francisco, then San Diego. So I did, uh, you know, all my preschool from two years old until fourth grade was in California. And then what I remember the most was San Diego, Southern California. Then we moved to Pensacola, Florida, where I grew up fifth grade, 11th grade. And then I joined the Navy right out of high school. And I was stationed in California. So I actually lived in Long Beach, Huntington Beach. I was stationed in Long Beach. I lived in Huntington and uh, traveled all up and down. So you know, I, I love Southern California. You know, I, I love California. It's unfortunate, you know, what's happening and what's going on. You know, obviously the fires are a big issue. Um, the, you know, the unrest in the cities and, and um, the things that are, are happening in the cities and, you know, they're not doing anything about the homeless situation, uh, you know, at scale. So, I mean, there's just, there's just so many things, you know, but California is a wonderful place. It's a wonderful state. And uh, it's a shame to see, you know, some of the things that are happening that, that uh, you know, that, that they're just not taking care of and doing anything about at the, at the government level. I'm not yeah. talking about, you know, the citizens and all that. I'm just talking about the politicians. You know, they're just ignoring a lot of things and not taking care of business. Yeah, California, again, um, the bed is made, if you will. Uh, I, be- I truly believe we're going to have a decade of pain. Uh, I've been here for nearly five decades. Uh, I remember when San Francisco... Uh, was unsafe and dirty and dangerous and um, smelly and just all those things. And it's coming back. And I don't, I don't envision the bottom in San Francisco until probably 2025, right? It's already going down, but it's got a long road to go. It's got 60% of the small businesses already closed, right? Uh, It's, there's just nothing good going on. And then, and then you have companies, uh, leaving because of tax reasons. Palantir being the most obvious example. Palantir, while it was private, changed its headquarters from the Bay Area to Denver, Colorado. 
uh, and then it went public. Uh, so now, you know, their tax rate in Colorado is 3.3% versus what would have been 13.3 here. It's just people leaving SoCal, the Hollywood, the fact that Disneyland isn't open when Disney World is open. It's, mm -hmm. um, it's, I don't understand what our leadership is doing. It is, it is tr seemingly trying to crush dreams and um, they're going to be paying for it for a decade. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting times. The thing that I'm really curious to see is what's the impact um, for an area like, you know, Palo Alto, Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. you know, what does that look like? You know, the wine country, you know, a lot of that's, you know, in real trouble right now with the fires, Yeah. Um, you know, what's that going to look like moving forward? And then, um, you know, you have the, you know, the port of Los Angeles, you know, you have all, you know, there's huge, huge industrial areas there that, aren't going anywhere. You know, mm -hmm. that's where a lot of the goods, you know, come into this country. So a lot of interesting things, a lot of dynamics out there. I mean, California, there's a lot, a lot of state in California to see between the North and the South. And, you know, I've, I've always been a Southern California guy. That's just kind of where mm -hmm. I was, but the Pacific Northwest is gorgeous as well. So yeah. uh, really interesting, you know, it'll be, be interesting to watch and see how that, how that, you know, changes uh, once people really get set up and, and the exodus really makes a dent. You know, like I said, there's so many people, I don't even know what the population of California is right now, but it, it's yeah. it's huge to where the, the exodus you're seeing, you know, it's not going to really make a dent yet, but it will in pocket. Yeah, well, I think it's, I think there's a couple of things. I think it does make a dent where it hurts the government. One of the things that we're clearly seeing is the most financially flexible are leaving first. Yeah. Right. Uh, and again, we can talk about Joe Rogan and Graham Stephan and these folks who are seven figure earners going, oh, I'm out. And that, mm -hmm. that's that's happening in mass. And oh, by the way, they're telling everybody about it. Right. Ten years ago, when a millionaire left, yeah. you didn't hear about it. Now you've got Graham Stephan, who's got two point five million subscribers telling everyone that he's leaving California. And here are the reasons why. And then you watch that as a California resident going, oh, shoot, it's good enough for Graham. Maybe I should think about it. So I think this wave, just like we talked about that couple well, from Battery Park leaving to upstate New York, I think it's going to accelerate because people will talk to people and it's just starting. Well, and, you know, you're seeing it in the Northeast because, you know, another high tax region is, you know, New York, New Jersey, you know, those areas have really, really high real estate taxes. And, you know, when you look at a place like California or up in, up in those areas, I mean, that's real money. You know, when you're spending, if you're an upper income earner, four or 500,000 to a million dollars or more, you know, in a in hundred to 200,000 to $250,000 worth of your income is gone in taxes that you yeah. wouldn't have to spend in Texas or Florida or, you know, Arizona or Nevada, somewhere like that. I mean, it just, at some point you got to do the math and go, man, you know, we're just throwing away hundreds of thousands of dollars. And for what, you know, that's the real problem. I don't mind taxes, you know, the problem is, is that the tax money is just, you know, it's, it's funneled to um, certain pockets and it's wasted and squandered, you know, so at some point people, people start to rise up and say, you know, wait a minute now, you know, our tax dollars are not going where they're supposed to be going. And I think we're in the middle of a lot of that right now, uh, a lot of discovery. And uh, again, you know, part of the next conversation, you know, in terms of how that can impact the business we're in and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, taxation is a huge issue. I, you know, I'm all for, you know, paying taxes, and I don't mind paying more taxes if it's used properly. The problem is, it's not. And, you know, unfortunately, the way our government's set up, it never will be. And the more we pay, the more gets wasted. Yeah. Yeah. So let's switch gears. Um, obviously, California is a blue state. As we know, New York, uh, obviously, another blue state we just talked about. 
Goldman Sachs just came out today, read one of their analyst reports. They're talking about for the first time, a chance of a blue wave being greater mm -hmm. than 50%. They actually pegged it exactly at 60%. So six in 10 uh, chances of the House, the Senate, and the presidency being a Democrat uh, come inauguration in January. I'm curious, what when you hear that, and obviously you're a businessman, been a businessman for decades, you know, what, if anything changes in your model, what do you look, because there will be some things that are encouraged, some things that are discouraged. And if he, if there is truly a blue wave, they're going to have an expedited path to get stuff created and approved, right? There won't be a battle or a fight or negotiation. It'll just fly through the system. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I had this discussion with somebody the other day and, you know, there's really nothing you can do. So you just need to change your business model to understand what the new impacts and costs are going to be. And all you can, you know, uh, speculate on is what they're saying. So a lot of the tax, you know, loopholes and incentives are going to go away. Yeah. Taxes are going to go up for everybody. And, you know, for anybody who's listening, this whole, you know, taxes are only going up for people making 400000 a year or more. It's going to go up for everybody. Everybody's going to feel it. Um, universal health care, which is, which is, you know, where they're headed with that, is going to affect everybody's taxes, you know, and that in and of itself is a tax. And for everybody listening, you know, has your health insurance premiums gone up, you know, <laughs> since, since the Affordable Care Act? You know, so, I mean, the mm -hmm. things the things that they're not talking about just blow my mind. You know, with the Affordable Care Act, whether you're Democrat, Republican, whatever, your health insurance premiums and your health care costs went up. I don't care who you are. You got less benefits yeah, for more money. Mine did. Um, they did cover pre-existing conditions, which is great. And I think we should have that. But what we don't have is we don't have competition. We can't cross state lines with health insurance. So now you have this government mandate and it's putting everybody in one little bucket, creating monopolies. Mm -hmm. And the government right now is going through an anti-monopoly, antitrust across the board with big internet companies, but they're not doing it with health insurance. Mm. So um, there's a lot of things that, that they need to be talking about that they're not talking about. But at the end of the day, I know, you know, with what I pay for health insurance versus what you get is not um, where it was, you know, 10 years ago. And, um, you know, it's almost tripled from where it was 10 years ago. Um, so anyways, the potential of that you know, coming down the pipe, that's going to affect everybody as a tax, you know, just the health insurance alone, um, which I agree in this country, we should figure out a way to cover everybody. You know, yeah. health insurance shouldn't be such a big mystery, right? Healthcare, you know, um, good yeah, health yep. or, or healthcare. So that's a big one, you know, real estate taxes and incentives, corporate business taxes and incentives and, and income taxes, you know, it's going to be a tax and spend, you know, um, philosophy. If you have a, uh, you know, a democratic, you know, house, Senate and, and, you know, White House, it's just going to be thing after thing after thing of tax and spend, tax and spend. Um, so you just have to figure out. And here's the here's the question I posed to somebody, you know, the other day when we were talking. I said, OK, if you're going to go start a business and right now, you know, you know, you're going to pay 20, 30 percent in taxes. I said, is it going to stop you from starting that business if you know you're only going to pay if you're going to pay 50 percent? You know what I mean? You, you're, you know what I mean? It's not going to stop you from doing business. It's not going to stop you from going out there and doing what it is you know how to do just because you're going to get taxed more, you're still going to do, mm -hmm. you know, what you're going to do. I mean, Jeff Bezos wouldn't have stopped Amazon. If, if you said, look, you're only going to make 2 billion versus 150 billion, mm -hmm. he would keep going, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's not going to stop us in that regard. What it will affect and can affect is how fast a company can grow now, because if you get taxed, you don't have those profits to reinvest. So it can affect the rate of growth, but it's not going to stop me from going to doing a real estate deal. I'm just going to say, okay, yeah. 
uh, and for everybody who owns real estate, this is where your values can get affected across the board, residential or commercial. And this is where you could potentially see, you know, some, ha some issues in house prices going into next year. Um, and this could go either way. Uh, you know, if, if taxes exponentially go up at every level to own real estate and you don't, you no longer have, you know, interest deductions and things like that that you can take advantage of or accelerated depreciation or cost segregation, if all those things go away, that will disincentivize potentially, um, you know, people to pay as much as they're paying for real estate because these taxes and tax incentives offset it. So that could potentially drop the price of real estate assets because you might have less people participating. Um, you know, if interest rates go up uh, as we move forward, you know, uh, if you get into a tax and spend kind of an environment where the, the wealth is redistributed, how they're, you know, talking about doing, that could potentially create some inflation at the consumer level, which could then, you know, drive the Fed to raise interest rates. That will tank the housing market. So mm -hmm. there's a couple of things that, that could result um, and really greatly affect things. So you just need to be aware of it, prepare for it. And again, you know, it's not going to stop you from doing deals and it shouldn't. You just need to understand what the cost of those deals are so that you can underwrite that and, and calculate those risks going forward. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things when I think about a blue wave. Uh, and again, I think 60% likelihood is probably a fair number today, given, you know, the changing landscape. So yeah, taxes are going to go up. I agree. I think they're going to go up for everyone. Uh, I now, think this... I will qualify what I just said. Mm -hmm. Higher taxes will not stop me from continuing to, to be an entrepreneur, create and do deals. Mm -hmm. But if the um, penalties exponentially outweigh the risk, then I'm not going to do it. So let's take Jeff Bezos, okay? So a, a company like Amazon, if you knew going into it, the government is gonna automatically take half of everything you make right off the top, and they're gonna regulate the heck out of you to where you can't be productive and limit your growth. Well, you not you might not be as incentivized to take that risk and to do some of those things. You might just say, you know what? I'm gonna do something else. You know, And there could become a point where doing business becomes so punitive, it just doesn't make sense to take that risk and to, and to do that business. You know, when you get into an environment where you're told how much you can make, which, which you know, government is looking at, companies should only be able to make so much money, individuals should only be able to make so much money. So if you get to a point to where you're told, hey, I don't care what you do, you're only gonna be able to keep X amount of what you make, that could disincentivize you, you know, to get out there and create and do something mm -hmm. and take that risk. Yeah. Yeah. So when I think about what might be coming, I think there's a couple of things that are certain. First, you're right. Taxes go up for everyone. Second, I think it is very clear if there is, again, a blue wave, a democratic sweep, uh, they are going to go after real estate developers. They are going to hold up President Trump's tax return and go, this can never happen again. And they're going to look at every loophole, what they'll call loophole, I call deduction, and they're going to get rid of it which is going to have such a huge impact on the commercial market, depreciation, all that stuff, huge problem. But if I flip the coin and I look for the silver lining or the good, what is very likely happening in a blue wave? I believe it is very likely that they say home ownership is good. And I think is a very good chance that they incent home ownership, specifically first time buyers with some type of tax credit or give back or something. So I would expect something like that out of a blue wave as well. Well, as long as, and that's the other thing. So that could spur even more, you know, pressure and demand on housing. The problem is, is what we're not seeing, and this is where housing could come under attack is affordable housing. So mm -hmm. 
The last time it was subprime lending. So that was supposed to be the incentive to get people into houses that were otherwise not qualified. Mm -hmm. So what a lot of politicians look at is they look at everybody should own a house. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. Not everybody should own a house. You know, a lot of people just aren't qualified to own a house. Mm -hmm. So there still needs to be qualification. So the question is going to be, how are they going to address that? And there is income inequality in this country that, that, that needs to be addressed. But not from a broad redistribution of wealth standpoint, you know, it needs to be, you know, more in a way like you're talking about in terms of incentivizing, you know, entrepreneurship, ownership, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, for people to get out, not disincentivize people, you know, not to go to work with, you know, huge unemployment checks and things like that, but incentivize people to go to work, uh, you know, reform education, reform programs that can help people start business and, and get out and stake their claim. The problem is, is that with a more democratic um, environment, I think, you know, it's going to, you're going to be less incentivized to want to create and more incentivized not to create. Mm-hmm. So that's the problem you get into with housing. OK, mm-hmm. if you want to incentivize home ownership, you know, how do you do that in a way that, you know, that can be affordable across the board for people who are now renting that don't have a down payment? don't have the ability to pay, you know, taxes, insurance, especially with taxes going up, Mm. don't have the ability to pay for repairs when something breaks. That's what happened in the subprime uh, crisis. They had people that that had no savings, were week to week on their paychecks, and if they lost their job and the air conditioning went out, they couldn't pay for it, you know, and uh, they were one, you know, one refrigerator, broken refrigerator away from default basically, mm-hmm. you know, cause you got to keep the fridge working. You can't not have that. You got to keep the air going. You know, you can't not have that. So if you have a choice between paying your car payment, paying for those things or paying your mortgage, you know, what are you going to do? So that's kind of where the, the trouble came into the sub subprime crisis. So the question is going to be, how are they going to fix that? And that's where you get into these, you know, forbearance, you get into rent controls, moratoriums on evictions, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the question is what does housing look like moving forward if you're trying to really create a fair level playing field for everybody to participate in home ownership. Yeah. So a couple of things that I would expect from any politician, whether they were Republican or Democrat, is they're not going to think three steps ahead. They're going to think one step. And that Mm -hmm. is why I'm fairly convinced that probably within the first 12 months, again, if there's a blue wave, there'll be a 10 to $15,000 tax credit for first time buyers. It'll be just straight up. They will not look to the second step of, oh my God, we just pulled all this demand forward into a low supply environment, which is only going to jack up prices, make it even less affordable. They're not going to see it that way. They're going to say, hey, we took home ownership from 67% to 71%. Look at us. Not realizing that they've set up the first domino. Like you said, AC goes out, refrigerator goes out, uh, you know, could cause this pain again. But again, the bubble, if this happened, the bubble will inflate and it, it can inflate for years. And then the next recession, it'll be the next recession. That's the prick. And then we have a catastrophe again. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, you know, and uh, it'll be interesting to see where the focus is and what they focus on. You know, if you get uh, a blue wave all the way across the board, you know, that'll be kind of fascinating to watch and see. Um, you know, and then you'll just have to, you know, you're just going to have to anticipate and, and be ready for it. But, you know, one of the other questions you talked about was interest rates. Yeah, so, let's go there. You know, another way to um, motivate people to buy homes or put people in housing is a zero, zero mortgage rate environment, not zero mm-hmm. interest rate, not a Fed funds rate, but zero mortgage rate environment. 
Mm. So I haven't heard anybody talk about that yet, but I, you know, that could potentially be something coming down the pipe for certain people at certain income levels. They just, they get a government mortgage, zero interest. That's, I mean, that's 40 years or something. Yeah. That's really make the payments affordable. That's what I want to talk about. Cause you know, I got to tell you, when I first started building a decent portfolio, I never thought we would see mortgage 30 year fix below 5%. I mean, it was just unfathomable to me. And now as I sit here, I just heard yesterday a buyer uh, that I know got a two and a half percent 30 year mortgage, you know, good credit, good down payment, all that stuff, but still two and a half. That's half of what I thought was possible. So my question for you leading into this is, could you imagine a world where we have a 1.99 30-year mortgage or a 0.99, or now you've said zero. I mean, could we see that? What do you think? Yeah, so the only zero you could potentially see, now this is for mortgages, okay? Uh-huh. You got to understand where do where does the money come from for a mortgage? It comes from investors, uh-huh. okay? Uh-huh. It comes from, you know, Wall Street investors. These things are sold as securities or it comes from banks that are actually lending their own money, which again, comes from investors. So there has to be a spread for that to work. If there's no money to be made, no money will get lent. Hmm. The question is, what is the tolerance for that spread? And if you look at the bond market right now, that will give you an indication of where mortgage rates could ultimately go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there has to be some sort of a spread. And I think, you know, the limits on that are probably a point, you know, so maybe you could see 1% interest rates you know, in the commercial markets, mm-hmm. um, because that still leaves room for spread at scale. Yep. Uh, the only zero interest rate environment I think you'll ever see in mortgages is going to have to be a government program where, like you said, you know, if they pass trillions of dollars of whatever, maybe there's a trillion bucks of a mortgage product that's set aside for Freddie and Fannie to loan out mm-hmm. zero interest for certain borrowers. So, yeah, I think I, I had never thought about this. This is why I love talking to experts like you. So in theory, right, if we're just playing it out, blue wave, they want to do home ownership. besides the tax credit of 15 grand, they could, in theory, like you say, set up a trillion dollar fund, enable all the banks, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, blah, 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 to issue 30-year mortgages at 0%, and then they will buy them. That way, the banks get their fees, right, doing whatever that is. They make a little spread, or I guess they'll make fees. Then the, mm-hmm. then the government buys it. So the bank's off the hook and bingo, bango, you got a 30 year mortgage at 0%. I mean, it's feasible. Yeah. I think at that point, I think, yeah, I think the banks might get their money would be in the origination of the loans. and oh, the yeah. fees, So they, in essence, become mortgage brokers. Yeah. You know, they get paid for the transaction and then the government holds the note. Well, just like the uh, PPP because, loans, it's exactly what the PPP loans were. The government right. did all that money and they just got paid. I mean, Wells Fargo made $300 million processing PPP loans. I mean, that's exactly yeah. what would happen. Yeah. So, you know, you have to, that's really the only way I think that, that, you know, you would see a zero mortgage rate environment. It would have to be something that the government, you know, owns and carries on their, on their balance sheet. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not crazy. It's not out of this world. Right. You know, a bank can't lend you money at 0%. They just can't, they can't stay in business, you know, so that's not going to happen. Yeah. This is amazing to think about. So let me ask you this. What do you think? So where, let's just call it 2.5 today. Cause I had a friend tell me he got mm-hmm. that yesterday. What do you think the chances are, you know, zero to a hundred percent of, of some, somebody seeing a 1.99 30 year fixed? You know, I think that's possible, but that, but again, what's the cost? What's the threshold? You know, where's the break even? So there, mm-hmm. there's a point where a bank just can't make any money and they have a break even. I don't know what that is, okay. you know, for a loan. So I don't know if that's 2%. I don't know if it's two and a half, but you know, sure. I mean, if we're, if you're looking at where the Fed funds rate is, and if you go negative, um, you know, and then you look at where the money 
that's coming from that's looking for yield, you know, there's money going into 0 0.5, 0 0.7, yeah. you know, treasuries and, and bonds, you know, looking for yield. So that money could potentially pour into the mortgage market, you know, for a 2% yield at some point, if that, you know, opportunity is opened up. So, okay. um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say, you know, you could, you could probably see it. It's fathomable. Uh, I just don't know what the cost is, you know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's got to be close, right? I mean, it's it's hard for me to imagine the bank with the overhead and all of that, that they're going to have. I just, I mean, again, I never thought we'd see two and a half. So what do I know? But yeah, I, I think there's a chance next year we might see 1.99, but I don't think it goes much lower than that. Unless to your point, the government says, I will buy them all. You get your transaction fees, you know, hey, ho, let's go. You know, and look at the auto industry. So, you know, it used to be, you know, three, five, seven percent for a brand new car. Now you can get, you know, zero interest for 72 months. So how does that get financed? Who pays for that? And how is the money made? So, you know, if it can be done in the automobile industry, it can be done in the housing market. You know, housing is a little bit different, but finance is finance. Mm. So whoever, well, the difference is it's the, it's the auto dealers and manufacturers that are selling those cars and they've created the credit facility to loan the money, which again is probably, you know, coming from maybe something at, you know, uh, at the, at the federal level, you know, backing that up. I'm mm -hmm. not sure, you know, where and how all that works, but yeah, they're just but packing you, it all in the price But the you car. could see, I mean, to your point, I mean, I've already been, you, you just said cars. I'm like, okay, how would I play that out? So first and foremost, mm -hmm. uh, you could see builders offering 0% because what, how does the car manufacturer do it? Well, they take it out of the profit. They just carry mm -hmm. it. They carry it there somehow. Right. So builders could do it, right? They could add 3,000, 5,000, 7,000 to the cost of a home and carve that out as profit in theory, right? Basically it's a mortgage pay down, right? Mr. And Mrs. Borrow, you can go get a 1.9. I'm going to allow you, I'm going to sell it to you at zero. So what does that mean? There's a, you know, 1.9, whatever that is, there's a cost to the buy down. They just paid out of the homeowners. Then if you go to existing home, which is the majority of our homes, you could in theory see sellers do the same thing, right? In right. theory. And again, that would come from the lenders. So yeah. the lenders would be originating that. They would be adding, the, the fees would be all baked into the house. Yep. Um, you know, because it's not all just builders. It's you, yeah. know, you and me are selling a house. So it's going to have to be done from a financing level, yep. not from the dealer level, whether Correct. the dealer is individuals or builders, whoever is selling the house, they're not going to be paying for the financing. It's going to be at the finance level. Agreed. You know? yeah. So instead of an interest rate, it's, just, you know, I don't know how that works, you know, yeah. that would be a tricky one, but yeah. So the next thing I want to talk about in last topic of the day is everybody's talking about stimulus, stimulus, stimulus these days, but what I see coming next, that's going to be market moving and we got to be ready for is a huge infrastructure bill. You could call that stimulus, mm -hmm. but I'm gonna call it a bill. And what do I mean by infrastructure? I mean, roads, freeways, bridges, railroads, you know, building, building cement, steel, wood. Uh, I think we are going to rebuild America uh, in, in many parts. It, it's crumbling, right? At least California highways are. So I could see a trillion or multi-trillion dollar bill, frankly, regardless of who's elected. And when I look at that, I think, ooh, what's the side effect? And it's, it's going to be commodities and labor costs going up, which is very inflationary. That's what I see. What do you think? Yeah, and see, that could trickle into the housing market as yeah. well, because where are you going to get the labor? So we don't have enough labor right now in the construction industry. Nobody's going into the construction industry. So if you all of a sudden have this max, you know, this mass infrastructure, you know, spending and drive, 
number one, there's going to be a lot of fights over who gets what, what state gets how much, you know, and all that. But now you got to find the people to do the work and there's not enough people out there as it is now. So where is that help going to come from? Well, if I'm a, if I'm an infrastructure contractor and I'm building bridges and I can't get help, guess where I'm going to go? I'm going to go to everybody who's working on a, on a residential construction site and say, Hey man, how much you making? You know, 15, 20 bucks an hour. I'll pay you 40. This is a government contract. I can pay you 40, 50 bucks to come help me build this bridge. So that's what happens. And I'm seeing it in, in my area. I live in Charlottesville, Virginia. And, you, you know, the uh, residential mechanical trades, workers in the residential mechanical trades, that's plumbing, HVAC, and electrical, are getting pulled out of residential jobs here to go work on commercial jobs in D.C. because they can get union wages mm. for these um, bigger buildings and these government contracts. So an electrician that would make 20 bucks an hour here can get 50 to 100 bucks an hour up there, wow. um, depending on their level, you know. So that's helper to journeyman. Um, so that's what you will see happen. So that's going to put even potentially could put even more stress on the housing market because now you can't, you know, it's going to put stress on getting help and, and trying to get people in there. So I don't know how they're going to execute on that spending plan because you just, there just aren't enough people out there to do the work right now. Yeah. Labor is a huge part of it, but let's not forget the commodities that go along with building bridges and freeways mm-hmm. and all of that steel concrete. We've already seen lumber right here this year, go up, you know, hundred uh, percent, four by four, yeah. two by fours, all that stuff. Uh, oh yeah. Prices the day, the day, the, the day that package you know, gets passed, steel doubles, concrete doubles, you know, all, all of that just will double, you know, double and triple. So that'll kill, you know, everything across the board. And we we already saw it. So uh, I remember back in uh, probably what was it? Oh, four, oh, five, pre 2009, when China was buying up all the steel, buying up all the drywall and all that, you couldn't even get it. I drywall remember. was on allocation and it was, a, it was a fortune, you know, uh, lumber's kind of been there lately, but I remember drywall insulation, steel, you couldn't get it. And prices were just crazy. And it was being allocated by the manufacturers because they couldn't get the raw, you know, goods, even cement, you know, they couldn't mm-hmm. even get cement fast enough for concrete. So, uh, it's, it's been pretty incredible what those types of things can do across the system. Now, we do need infrastructure spending. We do need to put money there that will create jobs. That's a great place to use, you know, taxpayer dollars. And that's arguably what your tax dollars are supposed to go through. National infrastructure, national defense, welfare, Medicare, for those who can't, not those mm-hmm. who won't. Mm-hmm. That's what that's supposed to be. That's what our federal government is supposed to do. Agreed. Not supposed to go into somebody's pocket, you know, who's studying, you know, some you know, who knows, you know, turtle in, you know, the middle of a field somewhere and spend millions of dollars studying this one little turtle and why he's not moving, you know? Yeah, yeah it's going to, it's going to be interesting because what I fear is, because again, I, I look at the consumer and cost of capital. And when I think a trillion dollar infrastructure bill, the impact on wages, the impact on commodities, what I see as the next domino is inflation and what could cause, what, what is inflation cause that causes Fed to raise interest rates Interest rates get raised. It hurts housing. Inflation keeps going. Interest rates go up. Housing crashes. Now that's that's a two or three or four year journey. But that's how mm-hmm. that's how far into the future I look at these things. And yeah. right now that looks very feasible. And it all starts with a blue wave. All of those dominoes line up. And once the first one falls, the the others are pretty likely, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, it, it you know it'll it's going to be interesting to see you know how how this how the election shakes out how everything shakes out you know what actually happens but it's going to be a tax and spend environment you know there's just no other way around it 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be good in some areas. It's going to be, you know, tough in other areas. And it's, uh, you know, it's the unintended consequences of all, you know, good intentions gone bad. You know, it's just hard to foresee every possible thing, every possible outcome. But, uh, you know, all we can do is be positive about it. Yep. And, you know, if something like that gets passed, well, guess what? I'm going to go start a new business. <laughs> nah. <laughs> You're going to be building some stuff again, huh? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, hey, so from an immigration standpoint and all that, you know, um, you know, maybe there's a way to, you know, open open that up and, you know, put people to work and mm -hmm. create jobs and, and things like that. You know, the other big thing we need to do is, is we, we need serious tax reform. And we've talked about that before, you know, where you go to some sort of a fair tax or consumption tax, something that gets everybody equally. So you don't have this huge complicated tax code and people have to spend thousands to hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars on tax professionals to file a tax return. Mm. I mean, that that's money that could get reinvested, you know? Um, so there's a lot of things between healthcare and taxation and just, you know, term limits and things like that that need serious looks and serious reform that, you know, unfortunately, you know, if we, if we do get a blue wave, you know, um, a lot of those things will not get any attention. I'm not sure, so sure they would even get serious attention if it was the other way. If we yeah. had a red wave, you know. No, I don't think so. Uh, you get you get one party in control, and bad things happen, and that's why our government was set up the way it was supposed to be set up with checks and balances. Absolutely. So that these things can't happen. Yeah. Very cool, Greg. Well, I appreciate your time. This is always fun. Again, folks, if you like these conversation with Greg, please check out his playlist. He has hours of materials there for you. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, it was great being here. Thanks, buddy.